Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. At Frost Collective, we are dedicated to designing a better world. Our specialist teams work across branding, strategy, place visioning, and wayfinding, solving problems with empathy and creativity to design experiences that benefit people, business, and the planet. And as a proud certified B Corp, we meet the highest environmental and social standards by balancing profit with our purpose to design a better world. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au. Welcome to the first episode of our dedicated B Corp series, Business for Good. Certified B Corporations are businesses that meet the highest standards of verified social and environmental performance, public transparency, and legal accountability to balance profit and purpose. After a rigorous and insightful certification process, Frost Collective was proudly officially B Corp certified in 2021. This series dedicated to the B Corp movement and some of the most inspiring B Corps using business as a force for good. Today I catch up with the brilliant Andrew Davies, the CEO of B Lab Australia and New Zealand, to find out more about what it means to be B Corp certified and how it's impacting the world and why every business should adopt the mentality that profit and purpose can contribute to a better world. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks, Vince. Look, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, looking forward to this conversation. Really cool. We're actually in the Commons in South Yarra in Melbourne. Uh, we've flown down for another event, which is really cool. And also just finding out the B, that uh, the Commons are actually B Corp as well. Recently in the last year became uh, B Corp members, which is really, really cool and growing quickly. You know the guys well, yeah? Absolutely. And look, uh, to a certain extent, I think a lot of co-work spaces have really found a moment pre- uh, during and after the pandemic but the, it's the kind of magic community that they create that makes these spaces, I think, really work well. And it's been a huge lift for us moving in here in terms of finding a community of like-minded people in business. So, yeah, it's a, it's a real, real win for us as a small organisation. Yeah, and you're, you're, you, have a, you have a space in, uh, in the city, right? Yep, but we, uh, we move around. Yeah, that's cool. You know, that, that flexibility is coming kind of – everyone's talking about the flexibility and how we need that today. Uh, we were at, at the Commons in um, Sydney and, and – um, for a while there, just in between studios. And I, th- I was at the time thinking, why are we moving out? It was actually felt really cool, really nice mixing with other people. But let's talk about B Corp. We, we're, we've become a B Corp certified last year, uh, and we're really proud of that. And we're working on, on ensuring that we utilize that every day in our kind of obje- objective and purpose of designing a better world with every project that we touch. But let's just talk about B Corp. How did it come about? Sure. It's a great question because uh, one of the beautiful things about this work is that B Corps are completely different businesses. It's a really diverse community, but they're really united by a pretty simple proposition, which is that they seek to use business as a force for good. Drilling a bit deeper, what that means is they're designed to have positive impact. And I don't think it's that much of a controversial proposition to say that business through the last probably 50 years or so in particular um, is, has caused a huge amount of harm 
the externalities that business can quite easily impose on society are, are really starting to come home to roost in various different forms. And so the idea of business having a positive impact is really what it's all about. But B Corp itself came about in 2007. The, in the US, the founders were two guys who, who had a basketball shoe business and a third college friend who was an investor in that business. They built it up to be quite a large business with a diverse group of shareholders. They, they built it with a lot of the principles of the modern B Corp in mind. They had really strong workers' policies, really, really strong commitment to sustainability on a number of levels. And when they sold that business and they were obliged to sell to the highest bidder under the US law, which is a little bit more black and white on those issues in terms of prioritising the shareholders' financial interests, they saw a lot of that stripped out of the business. Wow. And, and that really gave them cause to, to reflect on how can a business maintain its commitment to positive impact through the pressures of transactions or through the, just the pressures of shareholders generally and how can we identify what a good business even looks like? And it was those kind of twin goals that led to B Corp certification. It's designed as a certification to show the highest performing businesses in terms of environmental and social factors. And it's designed to create a model of business that really directly tackles this model of shareholder primacy and allows a business to consider a wider set of stakeholders alongside shareholders. So we're a movement of for-profit business. We are very much in the um, for-profit space. So, that, so a B Corp really is that. It's, it's a business that's been certified to achieve the highest standards of social environmental performance so that they measure and manage their impact on environment, community, workers, suppliers, and they adopt governance models in order to hold themselves to account. And that, that idea of accountability, I suspect we'll come back to a little bit in this conversation. And what we do at B-Lab is we set those standards and we run the certification, which is a verification process where businesses self-assess through our tools, but then they come to us to actually go through a, a verification or an audit-style process where we really go through in a very detailed, very comprehensive and rigorous way to make sure that they're actually achieving those standards. It really is incredible. I mean, I've, I've been in business for 27 years now and... Uh I was always looking for something like this because nobody gave you, there was these kind of, you're just doing business, you're in business, but there was no one saying, giving you any kind of certification. You know, you, you do your thing, you pay your taxes every year and all that kind of stuff. You do your best. I mean, right. I think most people in life try to do their best. And most people, I think, try to do good. And it's amazing to have this organization that actually sets the standards and gives you the guidance in how to do it better and achieve that. You, you feel a sense of relief. You feel like you're on the right path. You feel like you're less winging it than previously. And, uh, yeah, uh, as I said, it's just an incredible organisation. And, look, those sort of, you know, businesses are pretty comfortable with product-level certification. So fair trade in terms of a supply chain certification, mm -hmm. um, organic for, a, for, for raw produce that's been grown in a certain way. Yeah. And, and the B Corp certification can build on those. So we incorporate and recognise certifications for different parts of businesses. So you can sometimes think of it as a bit of an umbrella or catch-all. Mm. Uh, and that's a really important thing to reflect on because when you're buying a product that's certified for a particular attribute, you're doing that because you, you want to recognise um, the impact of that. You, you want to make sure that the product you're buying has uh, potentially um, you know, remunerated its, its growers in, in developing countries and paid them a fair price or whatever the factor is. But you don't sometimes know a lot about the business from which you're buying that product. No. So you don't truly understand um, 
what they do. And it goes beyond just corporate reputation. I mean, of course, that's part of it. And we live in an era of any number of different forms of washing, from green washing to purpose washing, mm-hmm. pink washing. And, and people are, I think, justifiably cynical. So we need frameworks that businesses can actually use in the first instance to hold themselves to account. And then other people, whether they're employees or customers or business partners and suppliers, can have reference to to understand, well, is this business actually different or does it just have a really good marketing department? Mm. In, the, in the world, I don't know, how many, how many businesses do you reckon are in the world? I mean, there'd be billions of them, right? Quite a few, I suspect. Vast majority of them being just, you know, really small ones too. Yeah, but and then probably much more now from the pandemic has created a lot of people, a lot of offshoots of mm. people doing their own thing. There's, I mean, it's great. There's 4,000, uh, I guess, certified uh, businesses uh, with B Corp. Um, I would have thought there'd been a lot more. Is it, is it the... Is the demand there for, do people want to become, are they aware of it or do they want to become members? Is it the process time or the rigor around it that's tricky? I mean, what, what, what is, what's stopping it being, you know, 100,000? It's a great question, Vince. I don't want to put any pressure on you, though. <laughs> I know you're busy working away. Doing our best. Yeah. Look, I mean, I responded a couple of ways there. One is that when the pandemic hit, we certainly had a moment where we thought, we're a certification. That's an extra commitment for a business in terms of time and resources. Mm-hmm. And accountants all around the world were giving that wonderful accounting advice, which is cut cut anything yeah. discretionary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we thought this could be a really difficult time. Um, in fact, we've had the absolute opposite. We've had a surge in demand and interest. Users of our tools and demand for certification has just exploded in the last two years, which has been difficult for us. So one challenge we face is just that the model is difficult to scale because it does have a real person verifying yeah. the claims that you're making through our, our impact assessment. So it's it's difficult to scale, but that's one of our challenges. I think the other reality, though, Vince, is that there's an element of accountability here, and I think that there's values alignment with a huge pool of people. I mean, not many people go into business thinking, I'm going to make a buck and I'm going to screw as many people as I can to get there. Certainly no really? one... No I, th- one th- I thought that's what the majority of businesses did. Well, I think most people come to business with a particular <laughs> problem to solve or, a, or an idea that they've had. Yeah. And I certainly know for sure that people don't go to work if they're not the owner of the business thinking, oh, I'm going to drive that shareholder dividend today. That's going to be my mm-hmm. number one achievement. Mm-hmm. They go looking for fulfilment. They look for yeah, um, right. all, all forms of, um, of course, they look for an income as well, and that's absolutely fine. So I think where you've got a values alignment in a much wider pool of businesses, what you need to also have is a, is a willingness to hold yourselves to account. And I think that's where B Corps really show leadership. They say, hey, we want to be different. We want to do things differently. And quite often they're innovating in what that looks like. They're creating new models of business that are designed to solve problems. But then they go a step further and they say, I want to be accountable to that. And I want to be accountable beyond the usual mechanisms of kind of self-imposed accountability, thinking, you know, and accountability really comes to the fore when, when times are tough, when you've got to make the really difficult decisions about looking after people, maybe thinking about um, uh, your supply chain when a pandemic hits. Mm-hmm. Well, suddenly the, the vaccine situations and the um, health environment of the countries in which you're sourcing becomes very relevant to you mm-hmm. in ways that, you know, the orthodoxy of long supply chains 10, 15 years ago was the more you can subcontract and the longer that supply chain, the more of a genius you are in business. Fascinating how quickly that has mm. been subverted in the last two years where the good businesses are saying, hey, I need a shorter supply chain. Mm. Maybe I should look locally. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and if I can't look locally, I really need to understand the people who are making my stuff in the countries that they're making it and what are the conditions that they're facing. That to me is a really interesting shift in the culture of business when you've got people genuinely engaging and wanting to be accountable. That's a really interesting point. I mean, I've, I've noticed recently with this demand of you know, the awareness of the importance of trying to do things locally, you know, trying to do things, why, why go overseas for something we could actually produce here, is a lot of the skills have been, you know, looking around for, I don't know, printing a book, for example, um, everyone goes, yeah, do it in China. It's cheapest, it's more efficient, they set up for it. Well, okay, well, maybe we don't want to print in China. What if, okay, well, what about Europe? Okay, well, this place and this place. What about Melbourne? What about Sydney? Uh, well, there's one company that could do it, mm -hmm. um, but you talk to them and they're like, well, their fees are twice as much because of basically the industry, the local industry, who commissions the printing of books is pushing it overseas uh, to the detriment of the whole the whole kind of uh, industry here, which is ridiculous. I mean, and now you look for them and they're gone or they're about to go or they're the last one standing. And so there's an opportunity for those businesses to really gain momentum. I guess importance now too, which is really cool. I guess you will see that more and more um, design and making done uh, locally, I'm I would think, I would hope. Mm. I love it because it's about people, planet, and profit. And it's interesting for as long as I've been in business, I've been doing it because I want to help people. And I love design. And I know the power of design and the, 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 the importance of it and what it can do to make things better. Um, often, you, as a result, you attract a hell of a lot of charities. There's a lot of people come to you who have got no money and no budget. Um, big idea. And doing it for the right reasons. And I get suckered into all that stuff. Because I, mean, I, I love it. I love the opportunity, whether it's paid or not paid. Um, probably inundated with more free projects now but it's for people it's for the planet but what was missing was the profit because mm. it wasn't about profit and in a way I, in, as a business I kept using my profits instead of taking money out of the business take, using my profits to do good in other, uh, spend my time and energy and my team's time and energy in other people's projects which, which is a very um I think a brilliant way to, to, to think about profit. So, so Simon Sinek talks about profit should never be the outcome of business um, of a business, but it's the fuel that drives it. Yeah. And I think we far too often think about profit as an outcome. That's how we measure success in business, profitability and certain ratios around that. Yeah. The reality is for, particularly for I think a new generation of businesses that we're seeing, um, the, the more you focus on impact as an outcome, profit can and will follow. So, you know, capitalism is kind of the, you know, the sometimes it's called the, the, the kind of least worst model that we've found for driving innovation and allocating capital. And it does a really good job of that. Mm. Um, the problem is it's got a pretty fundamental kind of source code error at the core of it, which is this idea that of basically shareholder primacy, this idea that people in business have really had, and it came from Milton Friedman's writings 50 years ago, but it's been informed by lots of other factors and it's now really embedded in the structures of business that you have to prioritise shareholder interests. Now, the problem with that is that it becomes a, a question of judgement and we see it most often wheeled out when companies have done something dumb or something really bad. It's mm. like, well, we did it because, look, we can justify it on the basis it, it looks after shareholders. Mm. The reality is any good business knows that they need to think about their customers, their, the local communities in which they operate, definitely their employees. Now, they're all stakeholders as well 
and increasingly there's a growing awareness that the environment is a stakeholder and that might seem like a, an incredibly obvious thing but the reality is so much harm to the environment in the last 50 years has been done by business mm. simply because it's not accountable for it. Mm. So this idea of shareholder primacy is, is if we can take that away, if we can get businesses genuinely operating in a way that says, hey, we're accountable to a range of stakeholders, we have a chance to really utilise the power of profit because businesses can wield capital at solving problems at a rate often faster, sometimes at a larger scale, than government, which is mm. vaguely terrifying mm. um, when we think about some of the global businesses that move around the world mm. and one of the big issues there is they don't pay tax where they make money. Unbelievable. But, but, but the reality is there's something good in that, which is if we can harness that power, we've, we've got a good chance at solving some of the problems facing us all. I totally agree. I mean, those businesses are nimble, more determined, um, get things done too, right? I've noticed over the years, it's, kind of, it's been growing in time, uh, not just from the fires and the pandemic, but prior to that, a lot of our clients started to shift from thinking that sustainability was uh, nice to have, is on the on the list, but it's not a priority. Mm. And it shifted. It, you can just see it changing where people coming in going, I mean, when you say earlier that people, people aren't normally in business to rip people off, I mean, I, I actually, <laughs> I told... There's a lot of business I've experienced in, t- you know, in the past, less so today, that we're in business just to make shitloads of money and rip everybody off. They didn't give a, they didn't care about the environment, they didn't care about people, they didn't care about doing the right thing. Um, you know, brutal businesses, mm. and there'll still be plenty of those out there. I agree with what you're saying, and maybe I sound hopelessly naive, and I've certainly been around long enough to to see plenty of bad practices. Um, but I think the the idea that Someone I read somewhere that businesses are our greatest creation in artificial intelligence because a corporation can own property, can sue people, can be sued, has a lot of the rights and responsibilities and behaviours of people, yet it's a corporation, it's not a person. Mm. And when I say rights and responsibilities, pretty big on the rights, pretty low on the responsibilities. Mm. And these corporations are, of course, made up of people. So the decision-making processes inside them can be re-engineered to create far better outcomes. And to a certain extent, they are a vehicle that enables and allows the bad behaviour that you're talking of. And corporations, you know, they came about through effectively governments or, or the Crown in, in uh, monarchies mm-hmm. licensing individuals to go and do something without exposing them to personal liability. Mm-hmm. That was really the whole genesis of it, yeah. to motivate people to do something. And, and one of the early corporations was the Dutch um, East India... Uh, company, the um, sorry, the English East India Company, um, who who were literally licensed by the Crown to go and rape and pillage through um, the the subcontinent, yeah. and that was their job. They even had a standing army at one stage and their own flag as a corporation. Now, you know that's a deep dive story, but the point of it is that the idea of a corporation came up, came about with with very specific purposes in mind. So in the US, it was the early railroad companies. They'd, they were given a licence to and the ability to effectively use land that wasn't theirs because the country needed railroads. So there was a, a bargain at the core of that. It was like, we need you to build railroads. We don't want to take the risk. We don't have the expertise or the money. You go build them in exchange. You can have access to land. They were allowed to sell off parcels of land either side of the railroad in order to raise the money. It was very clever. Mm. But the key point was they had a limited purpose. Now, the modern corporation has any purpose that you want at all. Mm. And I think that there's a lot that can be achieved in just slightly re-articulating the idea that maybe there should be some constraints on those purposes or maybe that purpose should be about running a business whilst having an overall public benefit 
why are we giving people a licence through this wonderful structure that limits your liability and gives you a lower tax rate to do whatever they want, including mm. cause a whole bunch of harm? Mm. You know, there's, there's something in that that, to me, you know, we can learn from history a little bit here, um, and it's not a devolution, but it's a positive evolution to think about how can we re-harness the meaning of a company. Mm. Sorry, I'm getting I get, no, no, I get no, excited no, about the, uh, good. the history of this. Very rich, uh, fertile background information. It was really... Uh, I, I just caught my thoughts again. Um, <laughs> is that I, I felt, I saw over time, over the last few years, that clients shifted from sustainability to being a nice-to-have mm. to being actually coming in and going, right, we need to focus on our sustainability. That's a number one priority. The fires caused that. I mean, the fires and the government and the news and everything, you know, the new target, uh, climate change... Uh, targets, etc., um, and that surprised me because I I thought a lot of businesses were a bit more hardcore, a bit more businessy than that, and they actually the softer side came through. It was coming through, and there's a softness and a hum- humanity, a care for humanity, or maybe it was just the fact that people going, we're all, we're all screwed if we don't sort this out by 2050, we're we're done. You know, maybe it's that, maybe it's the fear, or maybe when people felt that they were seeing fires, they were seeing. The pandemic that's just made going you know what this might actually be serious this might be real mm. but there's been do you think the pandemic has also caused that in terms of that that, that kind of seems like people are feeling more than they did before look you know, absolutely caring more than they used to i i challenge the, the use of the word soft there i don't like the, <laughs> the the implication um the reality is that businesses are responsive to lots of different inputs and we've seen I think the pandemic and the bushfires accelerated um, what was some pre-existing trends. Mm. And so uh, it's funny, I have a really clear memory of riding my bike to work in January 2020 wearing a a mask because of the bushfire smoke Mm. and feeling super self-conscious about it. Um, And it's funny how history turned out. But anyway, the... The, the idea of this acceleration is that we're, we're seeing pressures come from lots of different fronts. So in Australia, for instance, we have quite a, an activated superannuation sector who, who are leading um, by putting a lot of pressure on businesses to be better in terms of a whole lot of sustainability metrics. Mm. Of course, we've got the rise of conscious consumption, and that predates the fires and the pandemic. Uh, I think the um, pandemic as well, uh, then of course, we've got a generational impact. I mean, the, we've been talking for years about what's going to happen when millennials are working in businesses because they're drawn a bit differently. Mm. They have a different set of motivations. Yep. Well, now they're starting businesses. They're, they're owning some of the largest innovative businesses in the country and we're really um, starting to see what that impact looks like. Mm. It's a very different lens on business. Amazing. Uh, people like um, um, Outland Denim is a good example. James Bartle there started that business really with a view to solving a whole bunch of problems that he saw in the way denim was produced, some of the environmental impacts, but also the supply chain has a real focus on improving the conditions of seamstresses in Southeast Asia. He's out to solve problems. Mm. He's using his business as a way, a structure to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think these accelerations in the pandemic have really taken this to a bigger scale where you know, we've seen the biggest intervention in our economy since since World War Two in the last couple of years, ironically by a conservative government who mm-hmm. probably had to be pulled there a bit kicking and screaming. Mm. But business cannot work in a vacuum and fix all these problems. You've seen business turn to government in the last two years saying, hey, we need help. Mm. And I think partly in response to that, there's a growing expectation that, well, if you're going to if you're going to get helped, you also need to be part of the solution here. So we're experiencing a global pandemic. Um, 
evolving climate change and the, the crisis that's less spoken of is rising inequality and that's caused a lot of destabilisation in places like Latin America. And that business needs stability in order to function. So we saw businesses in Latin America and Chile respond to some of that instability with a campaign to, to lock in wage ratios, so the highest to lowest wage ratio in a company. They would create a huge campaign, thousands of businesses joined up, to limit that to a 10 times wage ratio. When there's crises, people expect businesses to be part of the solution, and mm. I think that's what we're seeing. Yeah. It's interesting what you say about the millennials too, because I, I just you see that. I mean, Lucas sitting here. Um, there's, there's so many people uh, of that age group that are just having a go, mm. and they're so well... They, they, they naturally seem to have that different mindset that the previous generation had. They want to fix the world. They want to do the right thing. They want to, they're entrepreneurial, so they do want to be in business. They do want to be a success. And they have, they're nimble and they're creative uh, and they're able through technology to, to connect with the whole world. Mm. Whereas you know, our generation, well, I'm probably older than you, but you know what I mean? Like we, we had to go through the traditional means of, you know, if you want to be in business, you probably had to do an MBA. Or if you wanted to communicate the world, you had to get in the paper or the news mm. on the news or a magazine or something. This is before the internet. Um, but now it's just this fluidity and the speed, the speed and the twenty four seven on is mm. just unbelievable. And and um, there's obviously good and bad about that. You know, and I think that businesses. You know, I know when we tried to become B Corp certified, it was a it was a very long and uh, painful process, <laughs> but because it's important and it means something, and, it, and it's, there's a rigor in it that uh, other things, other organisations don't have, and I'm, I'm I'm glad we persevered with that. Talking to other people who started their business, you know, in the beginning, B Corp was part of their business. It sounds like an easier, an easier route, right? They started with B Corp. Mm. We're going to be a B Corp certified from the beginning, as opposed to trying to do it like you know twenty seven years later or whatever. Um, are you finding you're getting more people, more uh, organizations who are starting out that that see B Corp as an an, an essential part of their business? Look, absolutely, um, and I think it is again motivated by people that are looking for the right way to build a business from the start. And yes, it's a truism that that more complex businesses are harder to re-engineer, harder to create change. And what, what our standards are in our impact assessment, think of it as a, it's a design architecture for business. So you get rewarded in our assessment uh, the more you align with our standards. It's not a wiki for everything sustainability. So download your DEI policy here, plug it in, off you go. It asks the questions and it's up to each business to answer them and answer them in a way that earns them the credits that they say they deserve. Mm-hmm. So it, for one thing, that, it also means it's a very positively aligned architecture. You don't lose points for anything. You have to earn points. Mm-hmm. But what that means is that for a new business starting out, it provides a really great architecture of the questions that you should be asking. And we've had all sorts of stories. One of my um, a lovely person, Alicia Kennedy, runs Cherish Pets down in uh, Geelong near Melbourne. She's one of, uh, I think she's Australia's first B Corp certified vet. And when she started her business, she had no employees. And as she grew her business, she got certified super early. And as she grew it, she then opened up the section of the assessment that looked at um, workers and used that as a guiding light for how to build employment practices. So, yeah, I definitely think it can act as a really helpful architecture for new businesses. Have you ever heard of Michael Gerber? He wrote a book called The E-Myth. And I think it's really interesting because so many people that I know haven't gone to business school. You know, mm. they haven't, haven't studied, haven't done an MBA, for example. 
they've got into business because they were good at something. You know, they're technicians. They're they're technician that like me. I was I was somehow you know I found my way. Did bad at school. Uh, wasn't so good at design school either, but I got through and and I became comfortable and, and confident, relatively confident, in design. And and I, I started to get momentum. Project after project, I got better and better at that, just through determination and the pressure on doing that. It forced me to become a business, you know, long, you know, eventually. But I had no idea about business. I had no idea about how the world worked. And I'm still learning today. <laughs> I'm 57 and still trying to work it out. And also felt that I didn't know, I, I, I kind of, I wasn't the kind of person that sh- could have done a, a business degree because my head doesn't work that way. It probably, mm. I've learned my, learned how to do business through doing business over time. I could have saved, probably saved a hell of a lot of time and I could have had more hair as a result if I had done that. But what I was just going to say was that a lot of people, a lot of people are, start businesses who are technicians, you know, re- could be a plumber, a really good plumber starts to attract more work than he can handle or she can handle, so takes on someone to assist them. You know, The issue is around they don't know how to run a business. They've just mm. been busy, busy, busy responding to what comes to the door. Do you think that, and, and there'll be a hell of a lot more of those people now mm. coming through because you know people can have a go. People are opening shops online. They're doing creating their own products. You know, no one necessarily is qualified at it. They're just, they're just going for it. And I kind of wonder, are they going to be business, better businesses, the fact that they haven't learned about the traditional ways of doing business or you know, spent years at doing an MBA? Are they better in that naivety state? <laughs> you know, are, they better, are they better at rethinking things? Um, I don't know what, you, how you, what you've seen through your experience with B Corp, whether the, the businesses that are coming through, that are, you'd have equal a number probably that are, that are solid businesses that are wanting to do the right thing and got, got incredible people behind them. Um, I've, I, as a business, have, you know, I'm led by a, is led, I am a creative person. Mm. Um, and my leadership team are all creative people as well. They're not, um, in a way, qualified as business people, but they're qualified as practitioners, if you know what I mean. So I'm, it's kind of interesting to see whether you've, you've noticed a difference in... Um, how people approach things that, that haven't had that background degree in business or, or studying business, that are kind of people that are coming at it from a real determination to do something and, and do it right, you know. Look, I think there's, um, there's truth in that, Vince. Um, we, you know, it, it's, an, it's an old orthodoxy that when you come to an organisation with an outsider perspective, that's a valued thing. And I think if you strip that down, what we're really saying is this person is not equipped with the usual bias or prejudices that we're all equipped with in our daily jobs. This person's an outsider, therefore we want their perspective. And I think mm. that's another mm-hmm. way of, of capturing what you're talking about there. Yeah. Um, but then the problem is that outsider so quickly gets uh, becomes an insider yeah, yeah. And, and we lose that perspective. Um, I've been lucky in my career to do lots of different things in different sizes and shapes of businesses and the theme to it all. And um, sometimes it's really hard to find a theme in, in reverse engineering a career, but... The theme for me was actually just coming into different organisations as an outsider and learning. And I think that yeah, the best businesses are led by people who found a way to maintain that creativity and that energy and not get too emerged in the orthodoxies and the, and the ways of doing that tend to define that industry. And we mm-hmm. see that with the, 
sort of you know iconoclastic approaches to to true innovation these days tend to be people who just reject what everybody else says has to be done i think i probably don't have a wide enough lens i certainly see a lot of amazing businesses in the b corp community because they do tend to be people who by definition don't accept the current way of doing things Mm -hmm. and i think that that's a lot to do with the 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 architecture of business that we impose on small businesses in particular it's like once you you know once that plumber starts to employ people that's the burden of of everything that they then have to focus on that stops them from doing often what they love yeah so exactly. it's a really it's it it goes to um how economies stay innovative and we see this in the u.s the u.s is such a boom and bust economy and in some respects you think that's fantastic particularly if you're invested in the booms um but you also see a huge amount of distraction in the busts and and over time we've we've responded to that so you know we re-engineered home loan financing after the great depression because too many people were chucked out of their homes during the depression when everybody had 12 month mortgages they literally invented the the 25 year mortgage after the depression as a solution to that mm. that's structural innovation that makes our lives better mm-hmm. and i think it's tricky in business because we do tend to respond with with what is perceived to be more regulation but there's sometimes real gold in that so it's a it's a real challenge i think any business any person in business faces but that's where i see the younger generation they often see purpose or the problem they're trying to solve as their guiding light and the more you adhere to that the more you can navigate i think the distractions of everything else that comes with running a business mm. i mean obviously when we're doing branding businesses that we do you know in our organization or places etc <clears throat> purpose is actually number one thing and it's often that it's interesting how people can be in business for a very long time and not have a purpose mm. you know just doing it yeah <laughs> and you go back in there and you go you help them to kind of help them to clarify that to to do, to do something which is genuine to to, to them and their organization it's such an amazing feeling to go into an organization who's like please help us be a better brand um we've been busy 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 we're too busy to actually sort our internal stuff out yep. um, yeah, a, yeah and and i guess that's what's happening with b corp people are coming to you you know later in their business years and going how do we be a better business how do we maintain how do we have better policies uh, how do we do the right thing how do we maintain staff you know how can we be more conscientious in terms of the, the world and doing you know being sustainable and etc cetera, etc cetera. i think that it's once you've see that and once you see them kind of like have that roadmap and that clarity of focus it's just a game changer mm-hmm. the whole company or the leadership or the you know the ceo or whoever it might be or the leadership team and then the staff that whole staff engagement just you get everybody focused or refocused and energized and that that's a wonderful thing and i think that that that, that you know becoming a b corp organization it does that too. It really injects. I mean, I, we've seen that with our younger, our younger team specifically. They're going, "Wow, this is so cool! Mm. I want to, you know, help me understand this more because I want to play a part in, in activating this and bringing this to life." You know, and I think Vince, you, you talked about the rise of, of sustainability in business earlier. We have seen um, sustainability managers get elevated to C-suite roles. And so often in business, sustainability is defined a little narrowly around environmental. Part of B Corp does widen that lens to include um, uh, other, other factors, including your workers, community, um, governance models and so on. And there's nothing wrong with being focused on environmental and certainly for some businesses that, that 
is often the primary way they can improve their impact is change their environmental footprint. Mm-hmm. But I think there's something in going from a sustainability lens to the leader of a business thinking, is my business model itself sustainable? Mm. And that word takes on a slightly different meaning in that context yep. because what you're thinking about there is not so much just the outcomes of my business, but my business model itself. How is my business model going to survive through um, the next 10 years? Mm. And quite frankly, I think if that's where a lot of this interest is coming from because I think leaders in businesses are saying, well, it's not just a, a management ethos that we need to be nice or kind or soft. Mm. We, we need to be thinking about the infrastructure and the model of our business. Yeah. How is it designed? And if it's not designed to think about its impact on stakeholders, it's going to get challenged. It might not fail, mm. but it's certainly going to get challenged. It's going to be less resilient in times of crisis so I need to be thinking about these stakeholders, not just from a goodness of my heart perspective, but how to build a robust business. And we're seeing that with the rise of sustainability-linked loans, where some really big businesses, Kathmandu recently signed a $100 million loan backed by ANZ in New Zealand that had in, has incentives in terms of lower cost of credit when Kathmandu continues to achieve its sustainability targets. Now, I know the banks can can have really genuine intentions around wanting to improve environmental outcomes, but they're also banks. They also have risk in mind. They're very good managers of risk. Mm. They're recognising that businesses that have really good sustainability-based governance models are more resilient in the long term. Mm. And when you see the fun, that the debt provider's acting, it's a really good signal, hey, there's something going on here. I can make my business not just more righteous, but I can actually make it a better business model. Mm. Have you got other examples of businesses that you've seen, you know, just flourish after becoming B Corp uh, versus if they hadn't or their competitors? Because I, I, I agree in terms of I'm constantly looking and we're constantly as an organization looking at our business going, right, we just can't we can't keep doing what we're doing all these years. We, we've got to keep being relevant. We've got to be relevant. We've got to use the change, the technology, you know, change, innovation, et cetera, the usual Design, our, design ourselves a better business and, and not just fix and set, but continue to evolve and be aware of that. And I, I feel like today, it's it's like there's no time to, do, to be content. It's not a good mm. feeling, actually. But because so much change and disruption is happening, um, it just feels like you've got to be on. You've got to be on. You've got to adjust. You've got to pivot continuously, uh, not just once a year. You know, when you do your business plan, but continuously um, as things as things are changing, as we become far more of a global, um, you know, uh, have a global kind of in a way competitive um, situation, as opposed to just being in sitting in one country or one city uh, or in one industry, you actually have the whole world of like-minded people competing with you potentially, mm. uh, and you know, it, 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 it's always been there, but it's I just think see it's growing massively. Um, I, would, I don't know what the hell I was talking about, but anyways. Well, so. you're asking for those <laughs> those examples of uh, businesses that have become a B Corp and really prospered. I think that that point of inflection is um, it, it, it would be an overreach for us to say that it's the act of becoming a certified B Corp that is the trigger there. I think the reality is, as you would know from your business, getting certified is, is a point on a very long journey of thinking about the impact of your business designing your business to have positive impact and then at some point saying right we want to get certified to really verify that so 
the, the certification is often a late step in that journey. You are already a great business. You've already asked some, some really hard questions and created some change. So I don't think the fact of B Corp certification is a particular inflection point. I do think, though, that we consistently see really interesting, successful businesses like in the last couple of years. Who gives a crap? The toilet mm. paper company got a Amazing. lot of attention early in 2020 when uh, we went through those fairly ridiculous toilet paper shortages. And they responded in a couple of ways. One, their, their social presence and their messaging was incredibly generous and kind and it really put it was designed not to sell more toilet paper but to put people at rest and give them confidence injected with a healthy dose of humour mm. that, that this is not a problem, we've all got robust supply chains, it's just a little moment in time. But then secondly, they really used it as a moment because they got some attention from that and they used that attention to talk about their mission. They're super focused on creating um, or improving sanitation in developing countries. They donate a huge chunk of their profits mm. to WaterAid and that's all they talked about. Whenever they had a platform, they talked about that. Mm. And I think you know that was such an interesting response and their business has, has grown spectacularly and continues to. It was such an interesting response to what traditionally you might have expected to be a moment of um, a very different response, a kind of grab the sales or, or use our just build our brand for the sake of building our brand. So I think they're the kind of stories that we see where um, businesses have continued to grow and prosper, but it's not necessarily just because they're B Corp, it's because they're following some of these you know, design principles that, that B Corp simply unearths. Yeah, I mean, I guess a, pro- a company like who gives a crap is it's a for good business isn't it so a, a lot of a lot of organizations that are b corp certified aren't for good necessarily are they they're for profit well it, it, who gives a crap has has a a profit lock mechanism so they donate 50 percent of their profits yeah. year in year out um, some business there's lots of different we call that a design to give model so there's lots of different ways to do that you might have a a one-to-one model where like the old Tom's shoes models where if you buy a pair of our shoes we'll donate a pair of our shoes um, you can also have a, a percent of every sale goes towards x um, you can also have models where um, you use your staff for volunteering it's another way to to build in mm-hmm. impact into your business so there's lots of different ways to achieve that mm-hmm. I think using your profits at the end of the day is certainly one way but for a lot of businesses that's a really challenging thing to do who gives a crap has been built to do that from the start yeah. so to a certain extent their entire business model is designed mm. to deliver outsized profits yeah. to get outsized impact so i think if you look at that in the context of an ordinary business you say what i'm supposed to give up half my profits i can't do that and that's fair enough because you've got stakeholders that rely on that profit stream and your whole business relies on that profit stream so i think it is a it is a stark model you know the idea of donating fixed donating half your profits including in the bad years but i think there are many other ways to to really design a business to to have positive impact and you see that through the whole b corp community so it might be you know different revenue streams or different products for different market segments where you're really looking for instance to deliver an educational product to a to an outback disadvantaged community um you might have um a certain percentage of recycled product in your supply chain is a hard commitment or you might be looking to specifically target groups in your supply chain so back to outland denim they have a real focus on um, improving the the wages and living conditions of seamstresses so they ended up directly employing them hmm. you know they, they recognize the best way they can have that input was to have a different business model to most most garment manufacturers so there's lots of different ways i think to achieve that when anyone talks about b corp they talk about Patagonia 
you know, you're wearing a Patagonia T-shirt there. They're sponsoring you as well. Um, <laughs> no. But people always use them as an example because anyone in the world knows Patagonia. And they were one of the first uh, organizations that became B Corp uh, in the States, I guess. Mm. Can you talk a bit about them and, and how that came about and why they did that? I, mean, I think they're conscientious, again, a conscientious leader like who gives a crap, I guess, in terms of the, uh, their business model. And look, theirs is a, is a multifaceted approach. So they look at their whole business at any one time. Some people might resonate because they've seen Patagonia back causes where and they're particularly strong on environmental causes. They're an outdoor apparel company, so it's close to their heart. Um, they've done things like when the tax law changed, I think, under Trump and the company tax rate reduced, they felt that was inappropriate, so they took the, the additional amount of money that they saved and they donated every cent of it. So they, they, and I, you know, that's another form of activism. It's, it's a statement. So they're very big on corporate activism. But they are also very genuine about their product, so they're very concerned about the longevity of their product. They have uh, these commitments to lifetime repairs. They don't like the throwaway culture. And then they also look at some of their raw materials. So they've been at the forefront of developing um, organic cotton mm. uh, production, and they've now moved to work with a couple of other B Corps, including Dr Bronner's, where mm. they've started to develop a regenerative organic standard that is really focused on not just organic, in terms of use of pesticides and chemicals, but to take that standard to incorporate regenerative agriculture practices. So they've actually worked to develop a whole new standard in of itself, and then they come to us and say, hey, you need to recognise this standard in your, st in your standards. So they're a business that is, is authentic, continuously improves, looks well beyond their immediate business to partner with others to solve problems, and they've done so authentically and credibly for a very long time. So people sometimes say to me, well, what's the, you know, how does a business get involved here um, and do better? And, and there's a couple of principles. You have to be authentic, you've got to be transparent, mm -hmm. and you've got to be humble. Mm -hmm. And what that means is you need to be equally open about the great things you're doing um, mm -hmm. and the things that you're not good at yet yeah, yeah. and the problems you're causing. I mean, Patagonia has, you know, they ran a famous campaign saying, don't buy this jacket. They put an ad out. They've been very opposed to the Black Friday kind of sale mm -hmm. concepts. They're, they're kind of, how do you, as a business that sells stuff, get involved in anti-consumption? Mm -hmm. Well, the way you do it is just by saying, hey, we rely on selling stuff, but we want to sell really good stuff and, and please don't buy stuff that you don't need. Mm -hmm. But the implication there is when you do need stuff, come to us. And so that's a really brave message, but it also requires you to recognise, to be authentic in that space, you, you still have to recognise that you're a for-profit business selling stuff. So I think that, sorry, that's a bit of a ramble on Patagonia. No, uh, I'm also wearing my Allbirds today, and they're a good example of another way that these purpose-led businesses make a difference. So Allbirds were really focused on developing some um, uh, material for the soles of their shoes, some of the, the, the traditionally petroleum-based parts of shoes, they worked with a company, I think, in Brazil to develop a sugarcane-based um, shoe base. And when they perfected that, they open-sourced that to the entire, entire shoe industry. They said, here, have this tech, because this makes a better product. Incredible, isn't it? Now, that hasn't stopped them from growing. No. I mean, it's business orthodoxy, right? That's your IP. That's yeah, you, yeah. Have to, you have to patent that. You've got to then keep yeah, it for yeah. 50 years. Don't tell anyone. They literally open-sourced it, and that has made them a better business. That's really cool. That that sharing of that, like mm. you know, you know, was it KFC that has a secret ingredients or secret sauce? <laughs> like, how can you get away with it? Coca Cola is still a secret mm. recipe for Christ's sakes. I mean, that's killing people and the planet. 
Um, could Coca-Cola ever become a B Corp organization? That's a great question, Vince. I mean, I, I, you know, we have a growing network of um, very big companies engaging in certification. There are some legacy brands, and um, one of the challenges I think we'll face is that as we certify bigger, more complex businesses, people will say, hey, hang on, that's not my perception of a B Corp. Mm-hmm. They have to meet yeah. the standards. Yeah. They've got to meet the requirements to commit to stakeholder governance in their legal form. And different businesses will meet the standards in different ways. I hear what you're saying. I think that some brands are inherently so associated with with harm. Um, But the reality is there are other organisations out there that are really good at pointing out the terrible things businesses do. That's not our bag. No. We certify businesses by looking for positive impact, and if you have enough positive impact, you can get certified. Now, of course, we still have some limits and some restrictions and... Mm don't think there'll be too many arms dealers getting certified. <laughs> but the reality is we need to embrace bigger business as it seeks to improve, otherwise we won't create change. I would love it for Coca-Cola to find every single bottle that they've ever produced in the depths of the ocean and recycle it, you know. like mm-hmm. the, the, I, I'm amazed that the companies of that, of that scale can still, can still do what they do every single day, billions and billions of plastic bottles everywhere mm. it's just unbelievable adding to that great pacific garbage patch which yeah. is just terrifying when you think about it to obesity ill health bad teeth mm. <laughs> i mean it's just there's nothing i don't think there's nothing good about it personally but look, one we're, of the biggest companies in the world but we're accountable as well vince i mean the way people choose to dispose of their their rubbish we're, we're all accountable on levels but we're being manipulated we've been tricked we we've you know advertising's played a big part i mean design's actually got us into this trouble in the first place design's going to get us out mm. you know, creativity new thinking is going to get us out of this situation and i just like i'm, I'm just yeah i was just saying, i'm amazed that companies like that can still continue to have to, to to keep producing um all that rubbish but things are changing. I mean, it's mm. great. There is a definitely a wave of change, and it's not going to stop. It's not a trend. People keep talking about this as being a trend. It's not a trend, I don't think. I don't think this is something that's going to go away in the next couple of years if we ever get out of this pandemic situation. Are we going to be back to a normal that we thought we were before? Well, we, we were talking before about the uh, the rat tests that we're all having uh, at the moment in the pandemic, and you, you noted the, the awful amount of single-use plastic that goes through there. And it's a really interesting example of that's a vital public health measure yeah. that we're trying to roll out quickly. Yeah. And our reflex is to just deliver them with truckloads of single-use plastic. And yeah. I know there's some super complicated health considerations yeah, here, yeah, yeah. but the reality is we have to do better on those levels yeah. too. We yeah. cannot revert to the idea that we've got a problem over here, so let's all run over here and solve that problem and ignore the other problems we had six months ago. And the simple core truth of this, Vince, the absolute unavoidable truth of solving some of these really vexed environmental problems is that we have to change. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to do without some things that were easy and free five years ago. And I think we can take that optimistic spirit, uh, that entrepreneurial spirit that a lot of people have, and thinking, you know, someone might not be working this thing out. Someone might not be trying to solve that problem of the rat test, you know, or, or the mm-hmm. reducing that plastic or what to do with it. I mean, we're still, prior to this, we're still... People struggling with their red, yellow, blue bins. You know, <laughs> what goes in what? Um, and that contamination that goes on, dirty products and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, it happens every day at everybody's household. You know, there's no one's doing 100% the right thing. But I think that in terms of thinking that somebody else is, is sorting it out is, not, is actually wrong. That you should be thinking about, you know, what part could I possibly play 
You know, what ideas might I have mm. that actually might contribute to fixing this problem or certainly improving this problem? Which it's is, not, which it's is not just new things either. Stuff that's happened in the past, like, okay, you know, what, have we, what have we got that we use every single day that we could actually think about differently? I mean, it's interesting too. I, was, I, I, I think about a lot of things. Obviously, my mind's nuts. Um, got a monkey mind. Always thinking about ideas and stuff and seeing things and seeing, seeing other ideas it could do. And you think at the time that it's, you're the only person having this idea. And I, I, it kills me. Like two years later, you haven't acted on it. You, someone else's or several other people have, have started, you know, this thing starts to appear in the world. You go, damn it, I could have done that. It's interesting when I said I contradict myself because I say someone might not be thinking about it. There are a lot of people out there who are, who are having similar thoughts. Any thought that you're having about an idea, others are having it too. Mm. And it's about actioning. An idea is not worth anything unless it's actioned, you know. So it's like get onto it. Feel It doesn't need to be perfect either. Just mm. have a go. Start connecting. Start to kind of work out how might this, how might we make a difference how might we play a part in a positive change doing good you know not for, th- for people and the planet and and uh and a sustainable business as well and i think there's a good um tim duggan wrote a great book called cult status tim's a sydney cider who started junkie media and he has a bunch of very simple techniques but one of them um to, to help create a you know a, a business that's focused on impact and one of them is to take this idea of your purpose statement or your vision which is you know, it can easily get dismissed as a bit of management consultant rubbish, but it is important to have a sense of, of why you exist. And so many in the old orthodoxy where I'm going to be the biggest or the best or the fastest growing, just his technique is to add the words so that to the end of that statement. Nice. Um, and then find out what comes next. So if you're going to be the biggest, so that, you know, what's next? What, what is the consequence that's going to flow from that? What is the impact that you're going to flow? What problem might you solve? And keep asking yourself that question until you get down to something quite granular, quite measurable, and that's your, that's your kind of guiding light. And I think that that, to me, is a really beautiful way to think about stripping out all the detail, all the hard work of being a B Corp, which is really does require a big commitment to change. Start off with the simple idea of why are you in business, but not just why, what problem are you solving? Mm, that is beautiful. <laughs> so that, dot, dot, dot. God, it's, it's, that's, that's really... Simple, wasn't it? Mm. And it's just it, 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 it makes me really excited um, because I don't I don't think that often. I, often I just think of the idea. I don't think of kind of the why. I mean, of course you're thinking about um, it being a good thing and a good thing in general. But like, yeah, that really clarifies things. Hey, Andrew, I always ask people this: Have you designed your life? That's a great question, Vince. Because I think we all fall into the trap of thinking that we have looking back. The reality is that I suppose I designed my life early thinking about, you know, I did all right at school, so I got into a law degree and that was, you know, high achieving was a good thing to do. I did a law and a business degree together and I jumped into a traditional job after that in a big corporate law firm and I spent a few years working crazy hours doing really interesting stuff but just pretty pretty hard work. Realised pretty quickly that that wasn't going to be the long-term career but there was a lot of value in the process and met some great people. And then from there kind of... Um, you know, took another traditional step thinking, well, uh, I'm, I'm going to jump into a corporate using my legal skills. I don't want to be in private practice. And so I jumped into a corporate. It was a listed company. And, geez, I learned a lot about the, the short-term thinking and, and some pretty, well, not very robust board-level decision-making. And, you know, I saw a lot of what I would call very traditional, pretty poor corporate activity. 
And it was really that point that, you know, I started to think, well, I'm on a very traditional path here. What is my life going to look like? Mm. Um, had the good fortune to meet someone really special. And um, the, the, the short story is, is her, my wife's father became ill and eventually passed away and left a very complex business. So I jumped in with, with my wife to run that to help out for a little while. Ten years later, um, cleaned up a very complex business, ended up in the golf industry, and at this point, any any idea that I was designing my life was out the window because it was all very reactionary, mm. but it was at the same time really rewarding. I was spending probably more time than my family that I would have if I was in a corporate career. Mm. We started new businesses. We crashed and burned a couple. Um, and great learning out of that. Yeah. So for me, the, the idea of life became pretty clearly that you need. I really love being in situations where I'm learning, mm. um, yet still bringing the, the experience and the skills that I have, and that for me ultimately is what led me to this job through a series of great conversations and connections and healthy dose of privilege behind all of that. And now I'm in a job where I'm meeting and connecting with some of the most interesting people in business that I've ever come across. Mm. So in a funny way, you can look back and architect a kind of design theory to that. Yeah. Um, I think it would be. You know, ultimately not true to think it. I, I had any intention of being where I am today, but that I think a spirit of being open to learning, and I think the more as you're in a career and you're climbing a ladder and you're becoming more specialised, you kind of turn away from learning. You think, hey, I just need to be even better at what I'm good at. And if you had an open mind, you can just sometimes find yourself in a completely different places. So, but you know, having an open mind also requires you to have the kind of life circumstances that permits you to do that. So. Mm. You know, good good family life and um, some some good income along the way has, has brought a lot of privilege. So, I don't know if that's a design um, approach, but it's 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 put me in some really good situations and ultimately led me to sitting here having a chat to you, who wrote a whole book about it. So something's gone right there. <laughs> wow, that is quite a bio. Um, but I guess when you were sitting that, I was just thinking you sit in that corporate situation and the, and the board making decisions that you not necessarily feel was right. I mean, you must have had that inside of you, that feeling like, look, this, I don't fit here or you're doing things that I don't agree with. Yeah, I think the shine came, came off pretty quickly. That, that was mm. for me. Because at a young age, I was sitting inside board meetings in a listed company thinking, wow, this is, you know, I'm, I'm smashing it yeah, here. Yeah. This, is, this is amazing. And how quickly the shine rubbed off. But then ultimately for me it was going into a family business that just changed my lens on the idea of longevity yeah. and the idea of in business you're a custodian or a steward yeah. of the enterprise. The idea of ownership can be, can be really distracting. Um, it entitles you to certain things at the end of the day. But ultimately family business really gave me a lens for much more long-term thinking which mm. got me thinking more about this idea of what is a sustainable business model through the long-term cycles. Well, we're all better for it. So thank you for your career so far. Um, hey, Andrew, it's been so cool to catch up with you today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Vince. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of Design Your Life, Business for Good, which is our dedicated B Corp series. Tune to the next episode where I catch up with James Chin Moody, the founder and CEO of Sender, the world's first carbon-neutral shipping business. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.